0: So here we are. Standing room only. <laughs> well maybe not. Yeah we uh uh we went to a concert um uh I think it was last summer and uh it wasn't exactly standing room only, but it was a standing venue where there were no seats. And I was like, dude, I'm 40. (laughs) It's like, I I just love to stand on concrete for like three hours. This is great. So, yeah. Getting too old for that stuff. Jesus, we thank you uh, so much for your word. Thank you for loving us. God, how you have just been there when we've needed you. God, you've watched over us. You've led us by your Spirit minister to us in Your Word. God, that You have loved us with an everlasting love. And God, we're grateful for it today. And God, what we ask is that You would just minister this Word as only You could, that that uh, that You would help us and remind us, God, to consciously open our hearts to Your Word, to, to open our ears to hear what You have to say and give us eyes to see, and God, I just pray that you would plant this word in that you would prosper it, and uh, that you would um just cause it to grow and bring it up in us as only you could do in your name, we ask it Jesus, amen and amen let's go to proverbs twenty one You'll notice I beat you all there because I opened to it before I even started. Uh, I love Proverbs; it's one of my favorite books. I remember being uh, a young man, a long time ago, on the on the uh, plains of, of Kansas, and uh, uh, I, I actually I remember being I, think I was 19. And I was reading, uh, I was reading the beginning of the book, and, and it just talks about how the, the, the talks about the purpose of the book of Proverbs and how it's you know to give the young man wisdom and discretion and knowledge and understanding. And I thought, wow, I could sure use plenty of all that. And uh, so this book has always been kind of uh, one of my favorites. Uh, it's interesting too because um, more than probably any place else in the word you can kind of cherry pick verses out of it because there's so many that just kind of stand alone uh, but there's also plenty of passages in it uh, where it's several verses or more um, it's, it's a great book of course written by Solomon not telling you guys anything you don't already know um, of course he was the king And uh, and obviously David, his father, was king before that. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit here with the beginning of this chapter. Because he says in verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. Um, I want to read these next couple of verses too, because I think these all go together really well. It says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart's. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So, um, you know, this word heart is a, it's a good word. It's a lot how we use the word heart in modern English uh, as the the seed of your emotions. Um, um, and, uh, you know, where your thoughts and feelings reside. And... Uh, um, but there's this sense of will with it, because ultimately, um, it's just, it's human nature to be uh, motivated or or driven, at least in some part, by your emotions and your and your thoughts and feelings and, and that kind of thing. And that's something that I've found over the years is that. Uh, a lot of what God does in our life is wean us away from that sense of being guided by our our sense of what we think would be right or what we feel would be right or or doing what we feel like we want to do and, uh, and putting that um, that direction more and more on what we know from the Word of god and 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 gathering that word from him but but there is this sense of will that in, that's implied in this word heart. So he says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord uh, as rivers of water, and he turns it whithersoever he will. So, so he's talking about you know, a, a king. Um, and, and before you dismiss that as, well, I'm not a king, of course, you are. We all are. Because we all have this throne inside of us we all have a throne in our in our in our heart if you will and we get to choose who gets to sit there and you know the interesting thing about uh, a, a king you know especially particularly if you think back to say medieval Europe you know the king is not just going to get off the throne because you want him to you know, probably you know have you killed first I have this great picture of of, of zoe from years ago and she had this little tiara and she had discovered the little selfie camera on my phone and uh and so i was actually holding the phone but she's sitting there with me looking at it and uh i just turned it to her and i just kept hitting the, the shutter button over and over again and so we have just this slideshow of all these awesome pictures of her discovering what her face could do but she had this tiara and this like really fancy red dress on and she has this face that i could only caption with off with his head you know and um, it's awesome and so that's more the response you could expect if you want the king to get off the throne but with you and me we have we have this we have God of the universe that reigns supreme and he wants to sit on the throne in you. But if you want him to get off the throne, he will. He's not, he's not your king anymore if you ask him to do that. He's not your lord anymore if you ask him to get off the throne because if you want him to get off, then of course you're going to sit there. And uh, um, there's nothing like sitting somewhere where you're not supposed to. I, I was watching this movie about this guy um that uh has the king's speech and he's like helping the um uh, the the king of England during World War 2 or leading up to World War 2 with his stammering problem. He's a speech therapist and they're at the um what's the name of the place? Westminster Abbey and and this guy he's a commoner and uh, he's not even actually a doctor. He just, they call him doctor, and he sits down in like the seat that is like only meant for the king to sit in during the coronation. And and uh, this guy that's actually the king, his eyes just bug out of his head. Like, what are you doing? He's like, you can't sit there. And he's like, whatever, you know. And so there's something about that sense of you don't belong there. That is is really interesting, and so that's what happens when we uh, when we decide that we're just going to do what we want to do. When we decide that we're going to be a king, and um, one of the worst slash best things about life is that we get to make that decision all the time. Who who are we going to put on the throne? Um, ideally, of course, we put we put God on that throne, and and we leave it that way. And um, uh, I I went through some we went through some little boot camp experiences with our children growing when they were younger, uh, with that kind of it's you know this is my way or the highway this is not a democracy this is the dadocracy, you know and um, you know and and really you know God he puts that out there but he still wants you to choose. And, and he leaves that decision up to you. Um, I used to work for somebody that um, they didn't like to tell people what to do. I don't like telling people what to do either, so I totally identify. Uh, but uh, he would make his his, his uh, orders or his instructions for you to do something were presented as diffident suggestions. And uh, it's funny how, if somebody wants you to do something, but it it's a suggestion, especially a diffident suggestion, you could just kind of ignore it, just kind of do it your own way, like eh, yeah, yeah,, and uh hey, <laughs> oh, my heart um, uh, and so eventually there came this point where. We kind of had to have this meeting, and it's like, well, actually, I, I know I said it like, hey, do you want to do this? Uh, uh, I, I'm actually telling you to do it. It was like, oh, okay, gotcha. And so, um, and it's funny because I do the same thing at home. <laughs> it's like I, I, I tell my kids to do something, and I don't expect them to, you know, Click their heels and say, Oh, and we'll do it right now. But, I mean, I do intend for them to do it. And, uh, uh, and I had to have that same conversation. It's like, look, I'm trying to be nice and cool here. I'm like, you know, I'm cool dad, right? But it's like, I'm not asking, I'm telling. So let's, let's, let's do the stuff here. And, and so, God is not so shy about telling us what to do as, as I am. But um, he still leaves that choice as to whether or not you're going to do it up to you because he wants you to obey him because you want to. And I think there's a really healthy place where we come into this healthy fear of God that we feel like we have no choice but to obey him. And that's a good thing because if you really rationalize it all out, you really don't have any reasonable choice. Other than to obey God, now any any other choice would be foolish, uh, in the extreme. But he says here that the king's heart's in the hand of the Lord; as rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. So it's not what we think of as a king, like a, you know. The, typically, nobody tells the king what to do, and uh, uh, you know we've. Uh, so we all have that idea of of what a king is, but here he's talking about you know God leads the king around wherever, and that's certainly you know when you when you think of Solomon writing this you know he's i mean he i he might be thinking about himself, maybe i don't know he kind of had a problem with the ladies and uh, uh and all that i mean i I can only imagine how you know being the wealthiest monarch on the planet surrounded by thousands of, of uh, women would would kind of throw you for a loop but um, you know I, I I kind of picture him writing this down thinking about his dad you know thinking about David and it's like you know um, and how God took David through this place where uh, he God wanted a king that was going to be a king like Like God would be king, so because of course we started out with Saul, and and uh, and you know we all know the story Uh, when God tells Samuel to anoint Saul, he says he he Samuel warns the people he's like you don't you don't know what you're asking for here, it's like this is not going to be what you think it's going to be, and there's a lot of stuff like that that happens in life where we think we want something. And then when we get it, it's nothing like we thought. And that can be either really good or really upsetting. It just sort of depends. (laughs) But, um, you know, he's, um, so he warns them, you know, you're not, you, you may not want to have a king like what you're asking for here. And so they get Saul. And, and Saul starts out okay, but, um, but he has this idea that I'm king, so nobody tells me what to do and uh you know in in our modern society, it's kind of like that whole question of is the president above the law that came out back in the seventies or whatever it was, and uh, it's like well no and so so here it's like Saul still has a king over him because God is the is the King of Israel. And um, by extension, when Saul or when Samuel would come to him with the word of God, then um, you would think that he would just take that and go with it. Listen to it, obey it, go that direction. But but Saul had this idea of, Well, I'm king. So he didn't let God lead him whithersoever he will. He did what he wanted to do. And the funny thing is, is as you read Saul's story, you see that he doesn't want... He's like, I don't let anybody tell me what to do. And at the same time, he lets the people tell him what to do. Because he's totally swayed by their actions. He's swayed by their feelings. He's swayed by every situation that comes up. It's like, What are the people going to think about this? Um... You know, and it, it's all well and good to be aware of what people think. Um, but uh, especially, you know, if you're in leadership, you can't, um, you're going to make people unhappy. You know, and that's, you know, I mean, even if you're not in leadership, you're just going to make people unhappy in life. <laughs> and it's just, you, you're, you're going to disappoint people. People are going to disappoint you. You know, I mean, you could say that you're going to make everybody happy because some people will be happy that you're there. Some people will be happy that you're gone. but, um, Or, you know, they'll be happy that they're gone. But, um, uh, you know, there there comes this, this place of just having to, you know, make the right choice. And so Saul was in this place where he kept being presented with these situations where he had a choice to make and he kept choosing that well, I'm the king here, and so I'm going to do what I think I ought to do. And and so after the the second time that happens, you know, of course, you know, God sends Samuel to him because Samuel's running a bit late. I'm sure he was probably uh counseling with somebody or something, or you know, maybe he was on the phone with a prophet from another state. But um, he shows up and. Uh, and he's like, "What? What are you doing?" And uh, but but Saul's kingliness wouldn't let him um, humble down and accept what what Samuel had to say until until he realized, until he listened to what God had to say from Samuel. And he, but by then it was too late for him to keep the whole king thing going. So and he and he tells Saul, "He's like, I'm going to choose." I've, I've, I've rejected you from being king, and I'm going to find somebody else that is after my own heart. And so then he finds David. Um. <clears throat> and it's funny because David and Saul both start out um, in some ways in a very similar fashion because, uh, because Samuel tells Saul, he's like, when, you, when I first made you king, weren't you small in your own eyes? How have you gotten this big old watermelon head now? And uh David, of course, was small and and he was the he was the youngest, kind of the, the runt of the litter, as it were, of his family. And um but his idea of who is king here is entirely different. Um and of course he um as you read through his story, I, which is probably my, my favorite person to read about in in the Bible. You know, it doesn't do everything right, makes some really cringe worthy decisions. But uh, which of course gives me hope that that you can really screw something up royal and God can fix it. And uh which is awesome. But uh he uh um, God took him through this this place where He kept just like Saul, he had these opportunities to obey what God told him to do or or do his own thing. And he didn't have the crown on his head yet, but he had been anointed by Samuel. And and he uh and he kept saying he said, Well, here I could kill Saul, but I won't I I couldn't because uh God would not be okay with that. It's like I can't kill him because God anointed him to be king before me and um, so as he goes through these experiences um, he eventually becomes king of course and and he, and he's trying to make peace with the, you know with all the people and he's got these just rascals that are that surround him like Joab and he's trying to make peace with people and Joab uh, tricks this guy, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, and kills him. And David's like, I just sent him away peacefully because we're trying to fix this thing. And, and, uh, and yet, and yet he, he lets, uh, he lets Joab live until he passes everything on to Solomon. And of course, when you read, uh, David talking to Solomon about, uh, you're going to be king now. He kind of gives him this lit, this like hit list of people to deal with, and and one of them was Joab, and and he's he's like you know he's he was like a murderer, like not a soldier, he was a murderer, and and he tells him to bring his gray hairs down to the grave with violence. So, not somebody to mess around with, this this King David, but. Um, Uh, but David's heart was in the hand of the Lord and he let God turn it wherever he wanted him to turn it because uh, one of the best examples I could think of was he makes this rather kingly choice to um, uh, bring Bathsheba to his apartments and and you all know that story because what is she supposed to tell him? He's the king, you know, but... um, Then he, of course, tries to cover it up by killing Uriah, and, and when Nathan comes to him to confront him with what he's done, he could have, he could have, you know, pointed at at his crown and said, look here, you know, who's the king here? You know, off with his head, you know. And, uh, and yet he, he realized, no, actually, being king doesn't, doesn't make me immune to, uh, the, uh, the laws of God and, and following His commandments. And, uh, and so he humbled down and accepted it. So it was like he had that sense of... Um, you know, there were some times he kind of diverted that little flow of, of the river of his heart into some bad places. Uh, but when, when God came to him to deal with him about it, he always let God bring him back to the right conclusion and get him going back on the right path and uh, so it's interesting because in verse two he says every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. So it's like it's like going back to Saul. Like Saul, I, I'm sure. Well, and when you listen to the way he explains his actions to Samuel, he believed he was doing the right thing. And so oftentimes that's it's one of those. Uh, Really profound things that the Bible tells us in several places. This is not the only verse that says this, where he talks to us about um, our kind of default idea is that I'm right. And so we approach a lot of situations that way. What I want is right, or what I want, what I think is right. Uh, The Bible says that he that's first in his cause is sure that he's right. Can't remember how the verse goes precisely, but you know what I'm talking about. And there's this sense of the first thing that you're taught, that's what you tend to believe is right. And so it's, um, you know, I, I feel really blessed to have never gone to church anywhere else because when I came here, I didn't have to sort through a bunch of, well, I thought this and that and the other thing. Because I had only a few vague things that I don't even know where I came up with them. That when I came here, I thought, oh, okay, well, those weren't even close. So I just tossed them aside. But uh, so the first thing that you – so if you – the first thing you learn is truth, that's a really great thing. That's why we teach our kids that one plus one is two. And back when I was a kid, we used to teach children that that these – Kids over here are girls, and these over here are boys, and they are different. You know. So, and when you learn that, then you understand that that's how things work. Then it's it's a lot harder to convince you otherwise down the road. So, but the Bible tells us that that every way of a man's right in his own eyes. So, you know, and just like Sam or just like Saul, it's easy to. Um, you know, point at your crown and do something that you want to do and, uh, and then explain why that's right, explain why that's okay. And, um, well, I did that because it's like, well, you know, brother so-and-so really made me upset. Or it's like, well, you know, she's just being dumb, so I did this. And, you know, all kinds of you know, really mature explanations for um, why, we, why we do the things that we do. Uh, because you, you never really outgrow the ability to make immature decisions and be immature. So, it's, uh, uh, I was kind of chagrined as I got older to find out that maturity like required like conscious decision making. Um, as opposed to I was just going to suddenly be an adult. And grown up, and, and I was going to know what to do all the time. It's like I didn't realize that being an adult was like totally ad libbed, and and that <laughs> and that I was going to have to actually, you know, decide to not act like a kid. Like, oh, man! Some of us take longer to come to that conclusion than others. If you've been here since I was a teenager, you know what I mean. So. Um, so I don't advocate it necessarily, but uh, getting married really young is a good way to kind of force you to become more mature right away because you have bills to pay and, um, you know, people to feed and stuff like that. But that's, again, I don't, I don't advocate that necessarily. The older I get, the more I think, I can't believe that worked. <laughs> so in February, Cynthia and I have been married 21 years, and I, I think, how, how did that happen? How, how have we survived this long? I mean, you know, at first I couldn't believe my good fortune, and then I realized her parents were just glad to have one less mouth to feed. And <laughs> I'm teasing. They're not here to defend themselves. But. My parents were happy because they like her better than me. So um, <laughs> everybody in my family was like, a girl! Oh, my gosh! So, Because there were pretty much no girls in my family. But. Anyway but uh, I like how he says here, but the Lord ponders the hearts, so it doesn 't matter how well you can explain yourself or you know how it doesn 't matter if you can convince somebody with your you know uh marvelous forensic abilities that you um that that why as to why what you did is okay and right, and all that it says that God ponders the hearts, so God knows your motive, and God knows. Why you did what you did, and you know for good or for ill. You know, I I remember going through this really difficult, confusing thing that drug on for months and months and months. And I was just when God finally made it all plain what was going on. I, I asked him, "Why did God leave me in the dark this whole time about what was going on?" And he said, "Well, God was just showing you, giving you an opportunity to." See what you would do if you didn't know what for sure was the right thing. And just do what you believed was the right thing based on what his word tells you. And uh, I mopped my brow because apparently I had done the right thing. And I was really excited about that. But so so God does know. I mean, God knows what's in your heart. And he knows what your motives are. He knows what kind of decisions you're going to make. But he's going to let you make them. And he's going to give you an opportunity to make them, and um, and part of the reason he does that is to show you what's there. David saw that there was a lot more stuff in his heart than he thought, because you know all of us sitting here all nice and civilized on a Sunday morning, it's like I can't imagine, you know, uh, you know adultery and murder and, and all that stuff, and and David didn't think that, that he was capable of it either. And um, if, if you want to find out just how depraved your flesh could really be, just get yourself in a situation where you get really, really upset about something. And, um, and find out what kind of stuff comes bubbling to the surface. So, so, But God doesn't show you that stuff is there to pick at you. He's showing you because He wants to fix it. And that's, that's the awesome thing. It's like... Um, you know, we we don't work one on one with our business coach anymore. But when we did, there was always this. Every phone call with this guy was like um, it was like the Inquisition because you had to explain what you had been doing uh, with your time. You know, you you had to either tell him what progress you'd made on the stuff that you had agreed to do that he told you to do. Or why didn't you? Or what are you, how are you going to get it done? All this kind of stuff. Um, and and he was, you know, we were paying him a lot of money for this, and he really valued that, took it seriously. And so he would pick at you and pick at you and poke holes in all of your excuses and um, uh, and and really point out, well, here's, here's the problem. You, you're doing X, Y, and Z, you know, or you're wasting your time with this when you should be doing this thing over here. And uh, it was so frustrating. Like you would get off the phone with him just like, oh, man. It's like I need, need to go like sit down and have a cup of coffee now. And, uh, but the whole reason that we were paying him to do that to us was to make things better and to make things work right the way that we, that we were really wanting. And so that's what God does. Is he, sometimes we feel like every time I turn around, he's picking at me. Every time I turn around, he, there's, he's pointing out something. Or, or, I'm, or there's something that keeps popping up in me and I can see it and it's icky. Uh, the great thing is, is, is we feel like when that happens that God is just kind of standing there looking at us like, really? You know, when actually he's like rubbing our shoulders like, see, here's this thing, but you can take this. Like, you know, he's like, like uh, some crusty, like, New York boxing coach. He's like, you he can like, take a kid, he's a bum. <laughs> you know, rubbing your shoulders and you spit in the bucket and get back out there. So, um, you know, and then and just to wrap up here, I uh, want to uh, wanna reread verse 3. He says, to do justice and judgments more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Of course, we know what Samuel said to Saul that... To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken more than the fat of rams. We could do all kinds of stuff, and and you know we can have things that we can point to that, that make us feel like we're righteous or doing what God wants us to do or or whatever. Um, but ultimately, the thing that God is wanting is this sense the the justice and the judgment, like doing the right thing and uh, judging our own heart right judging our own actions right by the word of god and 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 everybody else too it's like you can't judge me oh but i can (laughs) you know it's like so many people misunderstand what jesus says in matthew 7 because he says judge not that you be not judged but then he goes on to say for the judgment that you judge with is what you're going to get judged with and so you know when, when somebody really steps on your toes and you feel grieved in spirit, which is King James for really angry, then you know you want to pray for them that God would deal with them the way that you would want him to deal with you mm-hmm. and uh, and if it comes out you know, if it comes back on you harder than you would like, that's not such a bad thing because um, you'd be um, you know uh Better that you couldn't sit down for a day or two than to go on doing something that, that's going to be destructive in your life. And so, um, of course, Paul says that if, we, if we'll judge ourselves, God doesn't need to, which is great. That's like when you know your kids are growing up and they're like, man, I need to go take a shower. Instead of having to have you tell them, you hear that like foghorn sound and like there's like flies buzzing around them and it's like, When's the last time you took a shower? <laughs> it's like, well... <laughs> so, um, when, when we, when we uh, look in the mirror and, and hear the fog horn on our own, then that's a good thing. Because uh, then we can do something with it um, and, uh, and, and deal with it. And then God doesn't have to. And, uh, and that's, that's a glorious thing. So... Um, so we all we're all kings, of course, and and God is just asking us to hey let me let me sit on the throne of of your mind let me be the king for you and and I'll I'll guide your ways I'll lead you where I want you to go and and you'll be glad that you did and things will work way smoother than if you want to be king yourself because that doesn't work so great so. Jesus, we just thank you for your word and um, for our, all of your your patience and tenderness, God. How you you work us through issues, God, and deal with things in our life, God. How you are the Potter, God, and, and we recognize this morning that we're the clay, and that uh, God, we're just placing ourselves in your hands anew this morning, God, to to, to squeeze on us and to mold us and shape us. God, and to, to deal with the stuff that, that you want to deal with in us. God, we're not afraid to have you deal with us. We're not afraid of having you show us uh, the things that, that we'd rather not see, God, because we know that you're only pointing them out because we're going to deal with it. And God, we just pray that today in this place that you would just meet every need and do everything that, that your people are looking to you for today. God, we're not we're not asking You to fairy dust us, God, but what we are asking for is that refreshing and that strengthening uh, that comes from uh, being in Your presence with the people of God marching around the throne. God, and we just want to offer You praise and glory today. We want You to be preeminent in this place. and We just want to gather gather around Your throne and, and worship Jesus because You're worthy of, of all the honor and glory we could give You in then. Uh, and then some. God, yeah, we just praise you today. Glorify your name. In your name we pray. Amen amen.